0: to be together this morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at the church, and it's just a joy for us to be able to gather on such a special morning. You know, as Johnny said, well, what we do this morning is we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning what we get to do is we get to come together and we get to say we're going to celebrate the greatest event that ever happened in human history. The fact that Jesus Christ, I mean, everybody think about this, don't just kind of coast in today and And not let this really land with some weight, but think about this, the fact that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, and then he was beaten, he was flogged, he was crucified, he died, and then he was buried, and then three days later, the place where they laid him, it was found to be empty. And and what that means is that he came back to life, that he resurrected, and and what that means for us, it is so significant, and it is so life-changing, and we have so much this morning that we get to celebrate uh, together today. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing some of the letters in the New Testament, he wanted the people that he was writing to to understand the significance of why you're here today. He wanted people to understand the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to read some of his words to you because, again, such such weight on this morning. He said this, he said, For what I, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, he was saying, hey, in the list of all the things that you should know, in the, in the list of all the things that as you go through your life and as I go through my life and we face ups and downs, he was saying, if you list it all out at the very top, you've got to know the truth that I'm about to tell you. At the list of things of first importance, he said, I need you to know that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But then he appeared to Cephas, and then he appeared to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then verse 7, they've died. Verse 7, it says, then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. You know, the thing that I love the most, though, about what we celebrate today is that the significance of the resurrection is just as important today as it was back then. So when the Apostle Paul's writing and he's saying, hey, this is of first importance, today we look at our own lives and we say, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is of first importance. There's one word that I hope that you'll link today inseparably with this idea of the resurrection. It's the word invitation. Because one of the cool things about the resurrection that we see throughout the scriptures is this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ leads to an invitation, and not just a simple invitation, but to an invitation that's life-changing. The fact that the resurrection happened makes available to us something that's so significant. It's actually so significant that the Apostle Paul, he went on later to write this, he said, hey, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, if he had not been raised, our preaching, in other words, our sharing of the gospel, everything that we're going to do here today, he said, if, if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, our preaching, it's useless, and so is your faith. What he was saying there, he was making a huge statement that because of the resurrection, though, since it happened, you and I have so much to celebrate because, because it did. Our faith is possible, and we can receive this grand invitation that Jesus Christ gives us. It is so significant. It's an invitation to experience the grace of God. Have you ever experienced grace? You wronged somebody, and instead of them keeping a hold of you and their grip on you, they gave you grace. You can experience grace because of the resurrection. It's an invitation to have freedom. Do you have any bondages in your life? Do you have anything that you just struggle with? I do. I have my own list. Do you have anything that you just go through life and you just say, Wow, this just keeps dragging me down. This keeps pulling me back to where I was. The resurrection makes it possible for us to have freedom from those things. The resurrection makes it possible for us to have things in our lives and to experience things in our lives, blessings that are beyond what we could ask or imagine. And not just for this life, what's beautiful about the resurrection and the invitation that it gives us is that it makes this invitation possible for all of eternity. It's that kind of a game changer, that kind of a grand invitation. You know, I grew up in a tradi- church tradition, maybe like many of you. And on Easter Sunday, I remember this as a child. I remember on Easter Sunday, we would go to church and there would be people there and they would oftentimes, they would greet you, maybe from just the handshake at the door or maybe it was from up front like this. And they would say something like this. They would say, he is risen. And those who had been around a while, they would say in reply very quickly, he is risen Indeed. And it was as though they had been waiting to say it, like it was pent up in them. He is risen, he is risen indeed, they would respond with, with enthusiasm. But I'll be honest, I wasn't into it. And I remember being there as a teenager, particularly a teenager who wasn't walking with God, and, and our church had this thing called the Sunrise Service. And, and as a teenager, I, I, I loved watching the sunset with friends. But the sunrise service was so annoying. And I remember going to the sunrise service and dragging my feet along with my brother and and getting to the door. And sure enough, someone would greet us with a whole lot of enthusiasm. He is risen! And I just wanted to say, amen, you know, and just move right along. But the thing was this. The resurrection meant something to these people so significantly. It was like to the core of their being. They said it was strength and with conviction, and, and they said it with deep belief because the resurrection had done something in them. And so they said, He has risen. And I mean, it was almost like a football chant. Like the, the pastor would get up front, He has risen. It was kind of like this. If I say this, now you can play along. God won't strike you dead for this. Here we go. Go, big red. Go big red. Now, some of you Iowa fans are about to kill me. I, I get that. <laughs> this is church. I understand. We can have fun, though, here. My email box just got some emails, not compliments, right? But, but, but what they were saying, it was like that. It was like this chorus would shout, shout back, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And they meant it. And the reason why they meant it is because they knew what it meant for them. They knew that because Jesus Christ had truly risen from the grave, that if he could conquer death, they knew that the resurrection was the stake in the ground, and it cemented in their minds that, okay, Jesus Christ, he's not just some religious leader. And those people back then, and that's why the Apostle Paul wrote with such, such conviction, because the Apostle Paul knew this, and everybody knew this, when Jesus reappeared to them, they all knew he is divine. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of us coming to a place like this and saying, Jesus Christ, we praise you because you proved you weren't just a good man. You were truly, truly God. In this church, what I loved about them was this. When they said, he's risen indeed, what they were saying was, if he can rise from the grave, he can conquer my marriage. If he can rise from the grave, I can know where my eternity is. If he could rise from the grave... He can help me with the things in my life. He can free me from this thing called sin and death. He can take me away from it. About a month ago, I was having a conversation with a a special woman in our church. Her name's Jean, and Jean was telling me about her husband's life story. It was one of these precious conversations. And, And Jean said to me, she said, you know, Tony and I, we were married just one month shy of 54 years before he passed away. And she told me that when she married Tony, she thought for sure that Tony was a follower of Jesus Christ. It turns out as they kind of got married and started working that through, and, and she was just almost 18 years old, not quite yet when they got married. Imagine that. Holy cow, that's scary, isn't it? I was still trying to figure out how not to hit the side of the garage when I was backing the car out, you know, at that point. And, but she's married, and, and, but she realizes that, hey, t- Tony's not a Christian. But Tony was enthusiastic, though, about her taking the kids to church. He was okay with that. She said to me, she said, Tony was a good man, though. Very self-sufficient, very good provider. He was a good man. Talked very highly of him. And she said this. She said, I prayed for over 40 years. I prayed this prayer. She said, God, whatever it takes, I pray that Tony would know you. I pray that Tony one day, whatever it takes, Lord. And she knew that was a fairly risky prayer. Whatever it takes, Lord, I pray that Tony would walk into a relationship with you. Well, Tony, as he neared the end of his life, he had two episodes where he ended up in the hospital, and on the first one, as he was riding to the hospital in the ambulance, he said this, he described it this way, he said, it was as though God said to me, and it was as though God showed me this picture of two doors, and God said very clearly to Tony in the ambulance, Tony, which door are you going to choose with your life? You're going to choose your way, the self-sufficient way? Or, Tony, are you going to begin to follow me? And that, that, those two doors and that image was so strong in his mind that, that when he got well, he asked Gene about it, and he said, hey, this is what happened, and I'm riding the ambulance, and God spoke to me like he never has before, and I actually saw this image of these two doors. And so Gene shares the gospel with him. He gives his life to Christ. He said, in the midst of it, he said, is that all I have to do? I mean, is this all that I have to do to experience Jesus Christ is just to receive this gift? Gene told me that from that point on, his appetite for the things of God dramatically changed. Even to the, almost to the time when he died, he began to love coming to a place like this for worship. And he would come and he'd sit, and I remember sitting to him, sitting right there in the back, and, and all of a sudden, here's this guy that hasn't known Jesus Christ for all of these years, but boom, when God got a hold of his life, when God gave him that option, hey, which way are you going to go? He said, you know, I had, no, I had nothing else to do but to choose. I, I want life. I want to choose Christ and Jean said this to me she said Tony was the kind of guy that he loved us but he didn't say he loved us so he, you know, he, he used that very sparingly I love you I'll let you know if it changes that kind of thing right <laughs> and so he, she said though after, after he has this experience with God God begins to change his heart and he, he said Jean girls I love you I love you sorry I haven't said it more and he began to have an appetite for the things of God. And here's one of the things that he said. He said, and I think it's so beautiful that he found Christ towards the end of his life. But in his mind, you know what he was thinking? I wish I would have chosen Jesus Christ earlier. I wish I would have received his invitation because it means so much. It's so personal, it's so life changing. You know, to understand this invitation this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it makes available to us, I want to show you a very simple. But I think it's one of the most clear verses in all of the scriptures that explains what the resurrection means for you and I. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to, the, to the, this group called the, the Romans, and, and, and what he was doing in the book of Romans in chapter 6 was he was summarizing. So basically he, gets, he, he writes this whole chapter, and he gets to the very end, verse 23. He summarizes the whole, the whole chapter, and in essence what he's saying is, this is the core of the gospel. This is the thing that I want you to understand. And so Paul writes this. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to think about this this morning. I want you to think of it this way. I want you to think of it in, in two categories. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's the first one. Think of it door one, death. Door two, though, he says, but the gift of God is life. Life. Now, when you think about that word death in the scriptures, these are the things that I want to come to your mind because it's important that you understand exactly what do the scriptures say are the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, what is the invitation that invites sin to? So when the scriptures say, for the wages of sin is death, you can think of it this way. Wages, and you all know what wages are. Wages are payment for something that you earn. Do you work? Right? you get paid? You should. The wages of sin... Something that you struggle with. Something that I daily struggle with. The wages of our sin is death. When you think death in the scriptures, think brokenness. Think fractured relationships. Any of you come in here today and you've got a relationship in your life? It might be the one that's closest to you. Or it might be a distant relationship, but there's a brokenness there. When you see death in the scriptures, think shame. Think guilt. Think, okay, this is what I feel. When I've truly wronged someone, when you see death in the scriptures, think this, eternal separation from a loving God, eternal separation from a loving God. Now, I know that's not happy Easter talk, and you know, I I get that, but here's the thing. In order for you and I to understand the magnitude of the goodness and the graciousness of God, we've got to grapple with death. But we've got to understand very clearly the wages of your sin, the wages of my sin, it doesn't sound happy, it's not on a Christmas card, but know this, the wages of our sin, it is death, separation from God. But when you grapple with the bad news, your heart begins to be open and ready to hear the good news. Door two, think of it this way, that second half of that verse, So, so for the wages of sin is death, but then it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. So when you think of this whole idea of of life in the scriptures, see things like this go through your mind, okay, there's life, there's relationship, there's a gift that's given to me. Let me ask you, have you ever received a gift that just blew you away? Have you ever had one like that? Like you got a gift in your life and you were just blown away by it. I know a guy, the night before he got married, his parents sat him down and, and he had You know, he's about to get married, but he had just graduated from college, but not just college. He'd also gotten an extensive graduate degree, and so he had piles and piles of debt, and so now his soon-to-be wife is about to have his piles and piles of debt as well. Anybody have student loan debt? You're going to wish this story was yours. All right, so here's what happened. So his parents are sitting there with him, and, and they looked him in the eye, and they said, Bill. Before you get married, we just want you to know that our, our wedding gift to you is we're going to pay off all of your student loan debt. And, and he knew that they didn't have like, the abundance of means to easily do that. He knew that what they were saying was nothing small. It was a huge deal. And so knowing the magnitude of the debt and knowing the magnitude of the gift, he sat there and he began to sob and sob and sob, and he just received their gift. When you see that word gift of God in the Scriptures, think life with God. Life with God, not religion. Religion. When you think of, okay, if, if the Lord gives you two options, one's death and one is life, don't think religion associated with life. Jesus was actually, he was very hard on people in the scriptures that were religious. He, and he was hard on them because oftentimes they were very fake. They weren't genuine in their desire desires, the things that they were doing. And so he was very, very upfront and hard on them. So when you think this thing, life, also I want you to imagine who God is. What is your image of God? I want you to think of it this way. If when you think of God, if you think he's up in heaven and he's got this angry fist and he's pointing it at you and he's so disgusted with you, I want you to try to get that image out of your mind. And I want you to begin to imagine that the, you have a heavenly father that looks at you and he looks at me. And this is why the resurrection is so cool. It's because we have a father in heaven that looks at us and he, and he says this, I'm for you. I'm for you. Even though it costs me a whole lot, I want to pay all of your debt, all of your sin. I'm for you. When you see that word life in the scriptures, think peace. Think restoration. Think healing. Jesus Christ has the ability to lead you so well, to mend your relationships, to lead you to significant purposes. When you see that word life in the scriptures, also think this, don't think just right here, right now. Think life with God, both now. It's a game changer for today. But when you see this word life in the scriptures, you've also got to think this, this is eternal. This isn't just, hey, temporary. This isn't just till I die. No, you can have confidence. Where will you go when you die? That was the question that was a pivotal fork in the road in my own story. If I asked you that today, do you know with confidence what you would say to that? Can you say beyond the shadow of the of a doubt, I've received Jesus Christ. I would be welcomed in, though I have a lot of sin in my life. I am forgiven. Can you say that? When you choose life, you receive that. When you see life in the scriptures, think hope. You know, some of you, you look at your own story and you look at some of the darkest days in your life, life and it lives, and, and it just haunts you. You go back to those memories and. And one of the things that's so beautiful about the gospel and about Jesus Christ, again, remember, he rose from the grave, he conquered death, so he can do these things. What Jesus often does with your past is he makes some of the points in your past that are the most broken, and he makes them the most beautiful. Here's what I mean by that. He takes what might seem to you like completely hopeless and completely hard and a complete train wreck and something that's going to maybe sideline you for the rest of your life, and what Jesus Christ does is he steps into that and he says, I'm just going to make that a part of your story where I came along and began to help you because I don't want you to do life alone, and we began to walk together, and you begin to look back at your own story and say, though I wish I wouldn't have gone through it, I'm so glad that now I see God's hand in it and I see where he's taken me through it. Jesus said this, he said, I came, my purpose was that they, you and I, might have life and have it in all of its fullness. You know, when I think about my own past and the things that I struggle with, even today, I just, I'll just i be honest with you, church, I need God when I think about future decisions, when I think about a family and trying to raise it, when I think about trying to be a man of God, I need God. When I think about the things that knock me down and how I need to get back up, you know what I need? I need God. I need God's work in my life. And what's so beautiful about the gospel, and it's because of the resurrection, is that God longs to meet us in that place. Let me just say to you, if you're in a place in your life where you would say, you know what, one day I want to get to the end of my life, and I want it to be said of me, I lived well. He lived well. She lived very well. Or maybe someday your hope is that you'll stand before God, and you'll get this from the Lord. You'll get this, well done. You know how you get one of those? You get one of those by saying, Lord, I choose life. I want to walk with you each and every day. You know, in the New Testament, there was this story of this guy. He asked a critical question. He said, in light of, and he was seeing Jesus do all of these cool things, and he said, in light of all the things that I'm seeing Jesus do, and in light of the fact that, okay, the wages of my sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, in light of all of those things, this man asked a critical question. He said this. He said, what must I do to be saved? How can I know God? what you say is true how can i know him like very practically speaking what does it look like and the answer to that question is simply this you receive the gift you can't earn it you're not good enough you can't fly straight enough you you can't clean yourself up enough nor does god call you to but what he does say is this it says in the scriptures john chapter 1 verse 12 yet to all who would who would receive him. And then it says to those who would believe in his name, and then here's the beautiful part He says, To those who would choose life, who would receive him, who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, what I love about this is that when you walk through a door like this, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm walking into a relationship with God where I am now a child of the living God. And I don't know what you come in here.